It is wonderful. Some of you may have not met Brandon Carr since he's arrived, but he is an amazing guy, and I so appreciate what he does. Uh, a lot of details in all those things, but uh, so thankful for technology, too, even when it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. All right, so as I start off by saying, are you aware of what's going to happen this morning? It's kind of an exciting deal. I hope you are. Uh, you're coming in here today for practice. It, it, think of it this way. It's like football practice, basketball practice. It's like a musician going through their scales before they play in the symphony. When we come into church together, God has a message for us through music, through the word, and we are learning and we are practicing together. Uh, too often our whole attention span is turned to this is the important part of the week spiritually. It's not. It is important. But what's really important is that we come here ready to practice. Because the real performance is going to happen this week. It's going to happen when you're at work. It's going to happen when you're amongst your family members. It's going to happen when you're in school. And you have the opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's important. The Holy Spirit lives in us if we know Jesus is our Lord and Savior. He gives us the words. He gives us the boldness. He gives us everything we need to know for that specific moment and time and place. It doesn't matter if you're trained. It's not a matter of how smart you are or how experienced in the word you are. Certainly, we, uh, we want to say the right things. We want to have a good mind about us when we speak for Christ. But the truth is, it's more about submission. It's more about devotion. Uh, we started in uh, Acts a few weeks ago. Last week we were in Acts chapter 3. And as we approach Acts chapter 4 this morning, I want to keep you to keep that in mind. Chapters 3, 4, and 5. We're basically telling a continuous story here. Jesus has come. He's lived among the uh, people of Judea, Galilee, for three years. Uh, he took his message directly to Jerusalem. He ran afoul of those who were custodians of Judaic law, the Torah. They reacted poorly. They turned him over to Rome, who was befuddled by Jesus Christ. They didn't know exactly what to do with him. They examined him and found no wrong in him. And yet his own people insisted not more than a week after saying that he was the Son of God in unison, they insisted that the Romans kill him. And so he was hung on a tree on the hill of Golgotha, the form of capital punishment that the Roman Empire used. And for all extents and purposes, at least in their mind, this was done. He was just one of a number of people who claimed to be the Messiah, who were threatening to lead the people of Israel into rebellion against the Jewish authorities, the ruling class, the Sadducees, and the Roman government. And so they dealt with him in the only way that they knew how to deal with people like this, which was they eliminated the man, hoping by so doing that they had eliminated the message. 
It didn't work out that way. Jesus, according to this book, was resurrected by the power of God, and he ascended to the right hand of God, where he sits even to this moment, making intercession, advocacy for us as his people, sending his Holy Spirit forward, another member of the Trinity, as he promised us in the Gospels to lead us into all things, to know what words to speak, to give us opportunities and boldness to proclaim. And the truth is, is those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, our lives are no longer our own. They're hidden in Christ. We are new citizens of his. We have a new purpose in life. It's no longer to be a great citizen. It's no longer to be to earn as much money as we can, to make a comfortable life for ourselves. Achievements that the world uses to measure the success of life. I was just reading in the paper this morning. I don't know if you're like me, but I love to read obituaries. <laughs> They're fascinating for what they tell you, but also for what they don't tell you. Very few of them, and I read these, can I say this, religiously, and very few of them tell us the spiritual story of the person. Sometimes I have to read where the services are to be held to get a clue as to what this person's spiritual orientation was. So services will be held this week at St. Paul's. Services will be held this week at Church of the Holy Cross. I mean, that's great. But most of them are like, well, we're going to have services at this mortuary, Gay and Chia, at Lindsay. You know, we're going to be doing it here, we're going to be doing it there. And if you read those paragraphs, those people who wish to invest a lot of money in the newspaper business and print paragraph after paragraph after paragraph of the accomplishments of certain people, why, that's impressive. I can't help but feel like, wow, I am such a slacker. These people are incredible. They're doctors, they're lawyers, they're involved with every civic organization that is out there. They have made an impact on so many people. But the story for them, if they don't know the Lord as their Savior, is that it's over. The book is closed. And you definitely get the impression that they understood that. They were trying to squeeze as much as they could into the few years that we call a lifespan would allow so that they can impress themselves and others. And some are truly motivated by uh, good, good things. They want to help their fellow man. They want to make a difference in this life. But the truth is this. If you're sitting here this morning, if you make church a regular practice, it is my hope that you know the Lord Savior, uh, Jesus Christ, that he has changed your life. Your obituary will not be read by men and women in a newspaper. Your obituary will never be printed because this life is not all that there is. This is just but a small sliver of what's to come. You see, we live with an eternal perspective. When our eyes close on this world and they put us in a casket and they bury us in the ground, and yes, unless the Lord returns soon, this will happen to all of us. That's not the end of life. We're given specific instructions of how we should use the time that we have. Some of us come to know Christ just moments before our eyes close on this life. Others of us come to know Christ as young children. 
and we live 50, 60, 70 years in the knowledge of Jesus. The Holy Spirit filling each one of us. You say, well, I'm a poor Christian. I don't do much for the Lord. Well, that's not true. It doesn't matter what you measure that by. What matters is how you let your, the Lord empower you and that you're obedient to what he shows you to do. See, this is where we're at in the book of Acts. Chapter 3, Peter and John and the other apostles, they've arisen in the morning. They've, they've washed their faces. They put on their togas. They put oil in their hair. They eat a little bit of breakfast. And they're getting pumped up. They're revved. You know, like football players before a game, they're doing chest thumps. Yeah, come on, because you know, we know we got a mission today. All right? We're fired up. This is not just going to be any day. We're not going to go back to the Sea of Galilee and start our fishing business again. The Holy Spirit has come upon us in a most alarming way. Like tongues of fire, a screeching sound, wind blowing, a holy wind, and it's on. They have the mission. What's the mission in chapters 3, 4, and 5? God's asking a lot of these guys. Well, the mission is clear. I want you to take this message of Jesus Christ right over there to the temple square, and I want you to confront the rulers of Israel with the truth about who Jesus is and was. I want you to share the gospel with them. Now, these are just fishermen, tax collectors, doubters. They had every right to expect the same fate for them that Jesus experienced. They weren't especially good preachers. That's not the point of this story. They weren't more knowledgeable about scripture than you and I are. That's not the point of this story. As I said, this is a story of submission. Ready to go. Fired up. They cross the Kidron Valley. They go up the ascent to the Temple Mount. In chapter 3, they enter. I'm not sure they even knew what they were supposed to do. All they knew was they were being obedient to the calling of the Holy Spirit they saw the paralytic laying there on the temple steps, begging for alms as had been his wont for many a day and many a year. And on this particular day, something that he could never have expected, after his friends had so long lifted him into that temple mount, feeling so worthless, so useless, and the apostles... Don't forget this. Jesus probably came right past this man every time he came into the temple. Probably saw him, looked at him. And perhaps he's the one that knew, saying, oh, not yet. Your day is coming. And went on to heal someone else. Went on to talk to others. But this day, this moment, this submissive moment in the lives of these apostles, Peter and John see him and they say, all right, get up and walk. And to everyone's amazement who's watching, he does it. His legs are strengthened, his ankles are solidified, and the man cannot believe it. 
He is up and he is walking. That's the story of chapter 3. The people are saying, well, how did you do this? What, what, what's going on? And they said, well, you recognize us. We're the followers of Jesus Christ. And there's a great sermon that Peter breaks into as the people joyfully chase after them up to Solomon's portico, onto the temple steps where Jesus used to teach. And these guys are saying, hey, do you remember Jesus? He used to be here. You crucified him. Your rulers crucified him. But let me just give you a break here. You did this in ignorance. That's what it says in chapter 3. You did this in ignorance. You didn't understand that the Messiah had to come, had to suffer and had to die, give his life as a ransom for many. But it's happened. And he has been resurrected. And many of you have seen him. And many came to know Christ because of that sermon. And now we're at chapter 4. Ooh, read along with me, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. They're just not listening this time on the periphery, taking it in. They came upon them, greatly annoyed because they, these apostles, were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, if you know anything about the people that were the head of Israel, you know that these are some key words in this part of, of Acts. Luke has taken the opportunity to give us a little insight into who's doing what. In the Israel structure of government and religious life, and in their theocracy, they were combined, right? There were the rulers, the high priests, the chief priests. They were the ones who were supposed to have access to God. They were the ones who made determinative statements as to how a good Jew should live. There were Sadducees. This was the ruling authorities. These were the people who had most desired to be like the Greeks and the Romans. A long time ago, under their ancestor, Zedekiah, they, they decided that they were going to be uh, people who were more like the world than the people of God. And that's the way it had been for quite some time. And the common people of Israel greatly resented them. They're labeled as Sadducees, as a political party. Not much of a religious effort was made by them to understand God or to understand his word. However, we do know that they denied the resurrection. They denied that there were angels or spirits. They basically were this. They took the supernatural out of religion because it was too uncomfortable. It couldn't be proven. And then you had a group of men arise that we read about often in the Gospels, the Pharisees, who were defenders of the Torah. Everything that the Sadducees disagreed with, the Pharisees decided it was our job to make sure that you understood that there still is a conservative view of God's law, and we're going to defend it. That's why the Pharisees were always out chasing after Jesus is because they wanted to examine him and see where he was coming from. They felt it was their job to defend God. And they used no less effort and power to confront the Sadducees with the same stuff. There were several groups running around, scribes, Essenes, and so forth, but the Sadducees were the ones in authority. And of these Sadducees, the most important the ruling class were the high priest family. 
And it says here that the captain of the temple guard in this structure, that captain was probably next to the high priest, the most important person in all of Israel. He was a Sadducee. He almost always would later become the high priest from this position. It was a grooming position for someone who wanted to be in the priestly line. And the Sadducees did not like what these apostles were doing. Remember how I said that they had come, they were prepared, they had anointed themselves, they had gotten fired up. I'm sure they spent time in prayer. They're heading to the temple square. This is the whole point of why they're doing what they're doing. It wasn't just some kind of general effort at proclaiming the word of God and telling people about Jesus. The target on this day were these particular people. And like a moth coming to the candle, these Sadducees fell for the bait. They came to them. They came upon them, as it says. They were greatly annoyed. Because why? Because they, saw they were teaching about Jesus and the resurrection from the dead, which, of course, Sadducees hated. And it says their response, they arrested them. Same thing they did to Jesus. And they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Now, their problem is this. Remember, this is not happening in a vacuum. This is happening in the temple area, and the people who had seen the paralytic get healed are still very excited, and they're clamoring for more. Tell us more, tell us more, tell us more. And the man who was healed is kind of dancing around. He is so excited. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And so the Sadducees decided, well, the best way to handle this is let's just arrest the whole bunch of them. Throw them in jail. We'll hold on to them. And the next day, if you're following along, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. They called a, a, a meeting. And they said, bring in everybody that knows anything about the law. Let's see where this is coming from. So when Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, these are all part of the high priestly family, and all who were of the high priest family, when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or what name did you do this? And this is a common question back in this day. They weren't necessarily asking Peter and John as apostles, uh, who, who gave you this authority? They wanted to know how this man got healed, by whose authority. See, this is so important. In their day, a person was judged by the quality of their followers. We're told in Plato's writings about Socrates, that ancient philosopher, how he was put under examination by the 30 tyrants, right? And one of the things they wanted to do was show that the students that he had taught were the cause of his downfall. But upon examining those students, they could not find any immorality. This made Socrates look really good. And the same thing's happening here. They're trying to examine these apostles and see if any fault could be found in them, any untruth, because this would reflect poorly upon Jesus. So they want to make sure they have the right people and the right time. By whose authority do you do this? Who allowed you to heal somebody? Then Peter, all right, verse 8, 